you're listening to a special edition of the Evoke Ag podcast, recorded at Evoke Ag 2023 in Adelaide. I'm your host, Martin Cudahy. During this series, we'll bring you some fly-on-the-wall conversations from our cornerstone event, Evoke Ag, with some of the thought leaders and changemakers in attendance, as well as some of our favourite panel discussions and conversations. In this episode, we're hearing from Adam Anders, a South Australian by birth, but now a world-renowned venture capitalist based out of the Netherlands. He's lived the highs and lows of any budding entrepreneur, but as he told our journalist, Jane Cudahy, it's given him a unique insight into all facets of the sometimes gruelling process. At the helm of his company, Anterra, he's committed to building a healthier food system right across the world. Adam Anders, I'm one of the co-founders and also the managing partner of Anterra Capital. Mm-hmm. That's a venture capital fund, which is not surprising considering the event we're at is focused solely on technologies that can make our food system safer, more secure and more sustainable. And um, I grew up not far from here. Well, I was going to say, it's almost like a welcome home for you, isn't it? You it, grew it, up in this area and on a farm, I understand. I grew up on a farm. Father had a farm machinery dealership. And my great-great-grandfather started a blacksmithing uh, shop in the same town. Really? Where, yeah. where is this in South This South is oh, it's, it, it's um, a couple of hundred uh, kilometres north of here in a spot called Freeling. Yeah. And when you and, were growing up on this farm, did you know when you went to school and they asked you what you were going to do with your life, did you say venture capitalist? Or? No, no, I didn't, well, no, I didn't say venture capitalist, <laughs> but um, but some a couple of unusual things happened on the journey out of uh, Freeling. So, so tell me about that. How did you get where you, where you are now? Oh, um, so first university in Adelaide, a couple of degrees, and that is when my first connection with at least the word ag tech began. <laughs> yeah. I started a company called Ag Tech Proprietary Limited. It's still registered here. Amazing. And um, uh, But unfortunately, I didn't have the foresight of venture capital or anything <laughs> like that. It actually bought and sold some tractors, and that was part of the way that I got my way through university. Yeah. And um, and then I discovered there was a wider world after uh, studying in England. Yeah. And, um, and you went to Cambridge, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's that not just it. studying Cambridge. What what was the the plan at that stage when you finished your degrees here? You were buying and selling a couple of tractors, there calling so it ag tech, and there then weren't what, what so happened? many plans. It was just a, an opportunity to study there occurred, and actually I wasn't sure whether it was law or an MBA, but it was just too good an opportunity to not take up. And in the end, uh, settled on the MBA, accepted in, and then visited this university. But it was at this uh, this. The education was much more than I expected and, and not just about uh, uh, nothing like the study that I'd done before. I just realized there was a bigger world and um, at that moment loved it mm. and uh, it took a while to come back. Picked up a job in management consulting and then got involved in starting a fintech business in London mm. as a co-founder but as a more junior of two more senior co-founders. And uh, lucky enough to also have a strong exit from that to Lloyd's TSB and came back a little bit over-exuberant and had a couple of failed ventures. <laughs> and that's important. I think, you know, when you've failed a couple of times or things haven't panned out exactly as you think they are, the next idea, 
comes on a little bit better. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's, in in principle, I completely agree. We, 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 <laughs> At the time, it's heartbreaking. <laughs> yeah, but, that's, yeah. right, that's right. That's right. That's right. That's yeah, right. But how, like, as a, as an entrepreneur and someone in that space, how you know it's obviously important to pick yourself back up, but it is it's, it gets pretty personal too. So tell me oh, about like how do you? It's insane, and also because I've been through that journey. Like at some point you can relate very well to an entrepreneur that's in the throes of just how horrifically difficult it is, the roller coaster ride of, of being a startup entrepreneur. How did Antero start then? So first I moved there and accepted a position as the deputy head of Rabobank's private equity group. Mm. And Rabobank's the world's largest food and agriculture bank, 120-year-old cooperative heritage, mm. 90 full-time food and agriculture research people. And when I first landed there, which is a bit over 12 years ago, there was basically no one in Europe and very few people in the US or around the place investing in the venture capital, the tech side of food and agriculture. Mm. And they had, we had a billion and a half of capital and also the bank wasn't doing it. And so we went with a proposal to start Europe's first food and ag tech fund. And it was just as the uh, full wrath of the banking crisis was kicking in, Lehman's went broke. You love a challenge, don't yeah. you? You love it. You <laughs> yeah, just they, thrive on stress. Yeah, they said, <laughs> so the bank said yes. And then when the full uh, effect of all of that started to come in, they said, ah, no, no maybe. And, <laughs> um, and we powered on to do it ourselves, but ultimately with uh, the backing. So we still ended up with the support of Rabobank, but also Fidelity. Uh, mm-hmm. So just two investors, Fidelity being the majority. And, um, and we got started. And uh, then Food and Ag Tech started to move, but it moved in the U.S. The early days were 80% U.S., 10% Israel, 10% rest of the world. So, yeah, but you, a lot of the time people um, not discount Israel, but you forget that they're such a powerhouse in that space. They're a powerhouse in venture capital, a powerhouse in banking. Yeah. And by virtue of extraordinary amount of technology investment in defense, um, remain a powerhouse of, of truly innovative tech and then food security it's, it's it's not a game right it's um it's difficult growing conditions and a, and a genuine sense of needing to be secure and that's produced some extraordinary companies so and it's a perfect storm fantastic entrepreneurs very driven essential feeling an absolute imperative to solve the problem great tech around lots of bankers lots of money lots of venture capital right? <laughs> i do want to talk a little bit more about uh, and Tara and it, it's Three pillars, I guess, but empowering farmers, which you touched on, and getting and getting um, connection back. But uh, animal welfare and providing animals with a better quality of life, and enabling consumers to access foods that drive wellness systems. So I find all of those three quite fascinating on their own. But I really Great. want to start with empowering farmers and the, and the producers of the food that you're investing in. Sure. So. Um so my belief, our belief, is that we're not going to fix our food system unless there's a fair and appropriate compensation for the work on the farm. We've ended up with a food system that's over-reliant on some cheap and perhaps over-powerful chemicals. And we've also started producing too many of some calories that are just not nutritious enough. And um, uh, to start with a bit more transparency and a bit more respect for what's happening on the farm, I think is going to actually help that whole process. And What's the reaction been? Like when you first started kicking that around boardrooms and going and investors, what was the reaction? Oh, look, it depends. I mean, that's not the opening sentence if you're talking to the, the guys at Bayer Corteva no. or Basf, right? Although it, 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 you build up to it, um, I think the uh, uh, you've got to, you've got to pick you've got to pick the audience in terms of which bit of the 
the actual or potential tech transformation of food and agriculture is going to capture people's attention. And from an impact perspective, I think that's a very powerful and important sentence. And then for the disruptor, the entrepreneur, it's a very powerful and important sentence. I think if you're at one of the majors and you've got a completely dry um, innovation pipeline, your lead products are off patent, there's multiple resistant plants, the generic companies are biting at your heels, and you realize, gosh, this my core product list is actually in need of a refreshment, and clearly society, but also farmers, are demanding a more environmentally sound solution. And also, you know, we focused on yield, and that seemed output per square meter seemed like a good metric, but actually productivity or even a balanced, sustainable element of farming is the next generation. I think people do agree with that across the board. Mm. It's just how do we find affordable solutions that will actually get you there? Mm. So what, what do you, what's exciting you? What are some of the projects at the moment that you're working on that brings that to the fore? You can find out more about any of our conversations on our website, evokeag.com. Make sure to join us in Brisbane for Australia's premier agri-food innovation event, Evogag, presented by AgriFutures Australia on February 18 and 19, 2025. Ooh. I mean, some of them are the same projects that have been around for a while. It's just waiting for them to accelerate. Mm. So, um, of course... That must would... be a killer when you're waiting for things to accelerate. It is, it is. But, you know, the first, the first I mean, uh, the first six, seven years of being a food and ag tech venture capital investor felt a bit like that. But thank goodness the last uh, three, four, and more than eight, four, um, things have really started to accelerate. That makes a huge difference. And um, the... The fresh entrepreneurs, the fresh capital, the fresh energy, the actual companies maturing that are showing a, uh, that we can make a difference, mm. raising larger rounds but also producing results for farmers or decreasing waste or whichever element of the food system, that's great. Things we're excited about though, um, there's still a lot we can do in terms of how we get the best ag inputs to the farm. There's still a lot we can do in terms of developing alternative inputs. There's a lot to do in optimising what happens on the farm. Yes, uh, and um, even optimising what happens and the use of inputs and that sort of thing, but even, even the use of data yeah. and that space, I guess. No, it's a huge, yeah. huge area. Um, at the offtake, there's still, uh, there's a lot of this, depending on the crop, there's not even any price transparency and multiple handlings, but there's always more to do in terms of risk management, insurance, different products, loans. Um, and depending on where you are in the world, they, th- those relatively small innovations can be truly transformative. But interestingly, look, the fintech revolution is huge. So just applying a piece of that to agriculture will make a very big difference to major row crop farmers, but certainly smallholder farmers. Yes, absolutely. Um, and we keep on going across the value chain. Um, then you go to the biotech side we haven't talked about, right? And there's equally exciting things to, to see there. We mentioned quickly the inputs, but there is also the animal health elements, medicinal foods, new ingredients. Mm. They're areas that all excite us. But um, to go back to, to Antera and your, your 
three, I guess, um, priorities. Yep. Uh, but an- going to animal welfare or the giving, providing animals with a better quality of life through safe and sustainable solutions. So yep. what does that look for you on, on the kind of level that you're, you're dealing with? Sure. So let's, let's start again with the um, impact side of that. So first of all, in order to improve our food system, we've got a $2 trillion um, livestock industry. Um, and in that, there's nowhere near enough innovation. In fact, I think it is literally the black sheep of the innovation cycle, both in terms of big corporates and also in terms of where entrepreneurs go. And the reason why that's absolutely critical is that, um, well, I think we just ex- might have just experienced a, a great example. There are more animals, more pets and more humans on Earth. There's more diseases that are actually moving between us and arguably COVID is an example if it came from a wet market mm. and um, we have to come up with ways to actually enhance the health of our pets, wildlife if we keep on transferring disease to wildlife and livestock mm. and we include pets in there for several reasons, first of all they become a part of the family second of all it's a, it's a, it is a really helpful area to address in terms of getting high margin products into the market that we can then scale and that's helpful in any innovation cycle, you know, exactly. to, to have a starting point where there's a, a different price point. Mm. It's really interesting that you, you, you have included pets but and wildlife because really it, we just saw with, you know, the uh, disease scares in Australia in the last six, eight months that, you know, if, if an outbreak got into Australia, it would decimate not just our livestock industries but you would not be able to control it because of wild animals and, and those pests pest animals as well. Yeah. Now, look, I don't understand why there's not more venture dollars and more philanthropic dollars going into the area. I, mm. I, I totally respect that for many people, the whole idea of applying particularly their impact or foundation dollars, philanthropic dollars into a food system aspect that they find abhorrent because of cruelty to animals, because of carbon footprint. Mm. Um, I, I respect that, but there's a big problem that we have to solve. And just sticking our head under the sheet and pretending it's not there is is not a, an approach that Antero has decided to take. We want to we want to hit that full on. So you're incorporating a social license into all aspects of what you're you're doing, and do you encourage your your entrepreneurs and your um, the people you're investing in to, to operate within a social license? Is that absolutely? Part of it? Um, look, I, we um, I personally believe that's a better way to earn a financial return. We are a for-profit fund and I don't, I don't think it's necessary to compromise that in order to actually have a positive impact when you're investing in food and agriculture, I'm sure, yeah. right? Uh, it might be in other sectors. Um, and um, I also think it results in um, a better, better uh, access to capital these days and uh, happier employees and better employee retention and so for me, it's all aligned. Now, different and consumers, entre- consumers want to be consumers able to. Consumers absolutely yeah. want to be proud of that as well. Yeah. It's a very good point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, but all of that said, we wouldn't impose as an impact mandate on an entrepreneur or a team. The team has to w- want to approach their strategy and their business with their philosophy. And so, of course, we've got some advice on things that we think could make a difference. And mm-hmm. sometimes you have that fantastic connection, and that's great. Mm-hmm. But it does mean that the strict impact goals approach um, the various regulatory or new systems they can sign up to, 
um, we, we remain open because we think it's just important that entrepreneurs run the business and as a fund, we don't tell them what the rules are. Yeah, well, what about values then? When you have a very strong values, as, as Antera does, but, uh, you know, so, does your, so do your entrepreneurs, so do your consumers, um, so do your customers. So do people's individual values come into it? Yeah, absolutely. But, but you know, with very early stage companies, um, these things can move. You don't know. I mean, we, we don't know as we set out to discover the next uh, completely environmentally sound specific but high obviously on target insect um, insect biological insecticide we don't know if we're accidentally going to discover a toxic poison right so there's always going to be an element of risk there's always always an element of risk Mm. right and that 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 i think is um no no it's not as openly discussed that risk is not openly discussed in the impact investing (laughs) world Comfortable with this, right, right. you wouldn't be doing what you were doing, surely. No, but I mean, some you know, bold statements about what our portfolio is doing right now to changing the world are it's a little bit empty. It's more what they can do if we're successful and what measures we're taking to try to ensure there's no negative consequences, even if we fail in our core mission. And the other thing we really like from an impact perspective is to choose each portfolio company, we try to have. A big, bold, audacious goal, not like a long list of checked, a little bit good for carbon, a little bit less waste, you know, a little bit of diversity. Um, It's like, uh, so we're not going for the deep data analysis of a thousand impact measures per company. We're trying to say, look, what's the one thing that this company could be transformative about? And that, I think, is more exciting for us. And I think it's more exciting for a team. Yeah. And well, it gives, it gives it some autonomy back to the businesses too, I guess. It's an accurate reflection of being at a startup as well because things move. So having lots of extra metrics, like applying a ton of metrics to a very small company is not a great place to be. No. Stepping back to where we started, being the entrepreneur who loses a contract just before <laughs> Christmas or can't raise the next round, yeah. the last thing you want to do is have to fill out the 75-point um, oh uh, yeah. accounting report, let alone impact report, let alone <laughs> the rest yeah, of that it. That doesn't right? sound fun. No, no. So you're really, you're really you know, giving them, helping them to put everything into it, giving them the best shot, giving them yeah, some it's, creativity. It's exactly, exactly the same as we try to help with strategy and we try to help with introductions. We try to help with access to capital and we try to help with introductions to customers and we try to help to control the downside and, and um guidance around risk and experience from other situations and learn from other sectors that have gone through a tech transformation before us. It's, mm. it's, it's another aspect of trying to be a supportive investor. Now, you, um, you closed your second, and I hope this, this may have been updated since then, but this was what I was reading last night. Uh, you closed your second global food and agriculture technology fund on $260 million in May last year. Correct. So, yes, yeah, yeah, a bit earlier, Feb, but yes, oh, perfect. Feb. Oh, yeah. well, Maybe whatever. we didn't announce it till May. <laughs> right, maybe you didn't because May was definitely on it. But we well could just, done, I'll just I apologise. I'll just edit that a little bit, though, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Um, what, what's happened since then? Well, gosh. Um, so first of all, to clean up that little uh, unnecessary correction, yeah, so we closed our <laughs> second fund in May last year and um, absolutely thrilled. Timing is great in terms of also the market cycle. What's happened since then? I mean, the biggest thing was that from just before then, um, the venture capital market went through a major disruption, huge decreases in technology valuations. Um, and, and we came off a peak that was, it was the, by a factor of five, the, the, a boom period in the deployment of venture dollars. And is that like, um, is that coinciding with COVID or has that got nothing to do with it? It was look, just a cycle. A lot of us thought that COVID was going to 
be the end of the tech boom that had already been going for about 10 years. And instead, it just accelerated it. Well, and people got more innovative. People got they more innovative to. and more technology was applied across the value chain. And, and especially for the food and agriculture value chain, it was more disrupted, but more tech adoption. So it turned up being a double boom for our sector. And um, as that tailed off at the end of COVID, at the end of a period of material government subsidies in practically every country, um, there was an overhang. And also there'd been an overvaluation of general stock markets and particularly the tech side of the markets. They're the ones that have been hit hardest. And look, we were again worried. We thought, how is food and ag tech going to pass through this um, material downturn? As it happens, the also incredibly unfortunate events in the Ukraine, uh, at least on a food and ag tech side, actually that disruption in terms of energy prices and a big disruption to the agricultural commodity sector and volatility, once again, in terms of supply lanes, etc., actually has provided an ongoing tailwind to food tech and ag tech. Um, in periods of disruption, people are turning to technology for a solution, or perhaps during COVID, they realise that this is not a cost, this can be a cost-saving. Um, and so we're presently doing well as a sector. Uh, what we, What I don't know is whether the... The outgoing tide on General VC, while there's an incoming tide on the food nag, our little piece, what is it, 6% of global venture capital at the moment, 12% of global GDP. I just, I, I don't know where those two tides meet. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, so cautious. You'd be a very, very lucky man if you did. Yeah, really. yeah. so I would say we are still incredibly bullish about food and agriculture and the power of tech in our sector, and it's definitely a growth area. But I think it's also a very good time to uh, be mindful of what's happening in the broader tech venture Consol market. Consolidate a little, perhaps. No? Yeah, just be cautious. Cautious with capital and a little bit more conservative with expectations and business models. Mm. Um, I think that's important. Absolutely. Look, I know we don't have you for, for much longer. I'm, I'm conscious that you need to go and make a presentation. But I did just want to ask, finally, you know, you've had such an amazing career in Australia, in England, all over the world, now in the Netherlands. What's What's been a highlight for you? When you think back on all of these risks you've, you've taken, these projects you've run oh gosh uh i'll keep to the professional things because there's been oh, some boring. gorgeous things yes. in the okay. oh okay okay um look the sheer raising of the first anterra fund which you know as we're in the middle of the banking crisis and being able to realize a vision of um having a food neck tech fund the first of its kind that we were uh, then aware of and then i think there was a there's a it's its own startup because then there's this period of I would say difficulty in a slow-moving market and having to pivot to the U.S. and having to pivot with uh, you know strategy and and then to get another mandate and a fresh set of investors and to actually see the impact of some of both what we're doing but also what our colleagues across food and ag tech venture are doing mm -hmm. and uh, you know I sit here now thinking first of all it was never a waste of time to try. But wouldn't it be great if we actually make a difference? And now I think we might, whereas there's been a few days along that journey where just like my first startup, I thought that maybe venture capital and our foray at Antero might be well meant, but unsuccessful. Yeah. Well, that must be a champagne kind of moment then. Yeah. We're not successful yet, but, but, but there is no doubt that some of the companies 
we're backed are going to be. Yeah. And you've got to celebrate those little wins along yeah. the way, don't you? Yeah. Otherwise, why oh, it's are wonderful. you here? That's <laughs> yeah. wonderful. Yeah, no, that's wonderful. It feels great. Look, Adam Anders, thank you so much for your time today and, and joining us on the Evoke Ag podcast. And, Lovely and to all talk, Jane. Yes, thank, thank you very you. much for having me. No problem. Bye. Thanks. Thanks for listening. You can find more fascinating interviews with speakers, presenters and innovators from the Evoke Ag 2023 conference on our website or look for the podcast on any of your favourite podcast apps.